Hello everyone, this is Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. Oh, to be 20, or <laughs> even younger. Uh, again, uh, not. I don't know that I really want to be 20 again, or younger. But, as I look back on my latter teen years and early 20s, that would have put me somewhere in undergraduate school, I'm not sure what semester, and I was really <laughs> certain uh, not only what life was about at that age, now looking back from the age I'm at today, but I was also unsure what I wanted to do with my life. I suppose I was in part waiting for it to happen, but also in part realizing if I didn't do something with it to kind of build it, that it wasn't going to happen. Psychology Today, September, October 2023. Owning yourself in a socially mediated age. The very act of documenting one's life digitally constrains development of an authentic identity. By Hara Estroff Marana. It happened so young. My granddaughter Helena, 19, and a college sophomore shared with me. The last memories I have of thinking about myself first rather than how I came off to other people were in the fourth or fifth grade. I have no way of knowing how much I lost. In what ways did I not develop the cool parts of my persona? Having grown up with social media, my generation will never have the security of knowing whether it developed as they otherwise would have. Psychologist Sherry Turkle, chronicler of the human technology relationship, warned us. We expect digital technology to deliver us, and it can't. The huge irony of social media, Turkle mentioned in her 2012 book, Alone Together, is that it often alienates us from others. We are only now getting the full measure of how it can also put us at odds with ourselves. In a culture where certainty about what is real and what is not has been shattered on many fronts, social media is making its own contribution to distortion. For Helena and the generation whose social awakening coincided with the rise of social media, self-discovery, and carving an individual identity major tasks of adolescence and early adulthood have become extraordinarily challenging. Learning by social comparison is a time-attested instrument of human growth, and it's normally pervasive in adolescence. But given the sea of social performance that social media has become, it is now more a weapon of mass destruction. Viewers' brains assume that a person's postings are a reflection of their real life, even when they know at some level that they're seeing carefully cultivated presentations of self. A generation already psychologically fragile, thanks to contemporary styles of overparenting, is left reeling in self-doubt. Further, it has been robbed of what every cohort before it was allowed to do, just be themselves. 
They are struggling to figure out what the heck that is. Disrupted by documentation. Invent the ship. <laughs> you invent the shipwreck, declared cultural theorist Paul Virilio. Given the acceleration of reality it encodes and abets, each iteration of technology contains a unique form of a disaster. It's not just unavoidable social comparison that wounds those on social media, excuse me, that wounds those on social media. It's the permanence of the postings. It keeps them stuck, unable to grow into their full selves, and defending what would otherwise be an outdated identity. In short, the very conditions of social media erode authenticity. As if the processes of self-discovery and identity development aren't complicated enough under ordinary circumstances, says New York psychologist Leora Trubb, the ubiquitous public and indelible nature of social media impedes people from finding and prioritizing private and low-stakes spaces for exploring identity. Before social media, young people could experiment with identity to discover what fit and what they said and did left little trace. They didn't have to make a commitment to any particular personal experiment. There was no pressure to be accountable for every expression of identity, no pressure to stay on brand. Growing up today, however, Trubb observes, everything is documented What isn't documented isn't meaningful or real. But the documentation is not only public and permanent, it's ever searchable and inviting of evaluation by others. Even while someone may be sleeping, a vast network of others can be judging the authenticity of their public display. The precise term is vanity metrics. It isn't just how many like did, likes did I get, but how many other people are going to see how many likes I got, says Trubb. An associate professor of psychology at Pace University who studies media behavior. Unlike teenagers in the 80s and 90s, depicted in cheesy TV shows and movies, says Helena, The vast majority of my generation couldn't afford to have horrendous phases, atrocious looks, because every phase we had was permanently documented. We had this production of ourselves visible to all that we had to protect because most people wanted to be accepted and we lacked the experimental phase for testing personalities. We just moved forward more homogeneously without having your own unique experiences. When you're developing a sense of self in that context, you're not spending much time thinking about what's important to you. You're thinking about what other people value. It's a setup for, free, for feelings of insecurity or failure or rejection, whatever a person's psychic fault line. Being on social media, media never radically changed her mood, reports Selena. It deflates you a bit, or it deflates you bit by bit. It's not that I got jealous of anyone, but I began to loathe myself even for caring about it all. 
It's an illusion that you can create social media that will really be about authenticity, Trump notes. Managing a public self is disorienting. But the metrics of recognition and apparent validation keep people trapped at it. Cultivating a substantive self. It is possible to navigate identity development in 2023 and beyond, but it requires time away from social media. It takes at least some solitude. To know how to be yourself, you need time to be with yourself, says Trubb, who has created a curriculum for kids and parents that goes beyond, way beyond, internet safety to tackle the challenges to personal development. Alone time always alone time allows you to think about what matters to you. It provides a zone that is free of judgment. It breeds self-awareness and personal growth. Trump also insists that developing and maintaining real embodied relationships that operate in real time is essential for identity development. They're nurturing. They provide true social support and validation and allow room for experimentation free of the judgment juggernaut. The direct experience builds a sense of accomplishment for a self to stand on, and relationships enable understanding of one's own emotional patterns and reactivity. Helena now restricts her own exposure to social media. She uses only an Instagram account, sets a daily limit of 45 minutes, and asks a roommate to create the passcode. So she has no way of getting sucked in after catching up with friends. I'm just not spending mindless moments looking at other people. I don't have to fight a battle with myself that was created by others for me. Before my generation and I were developmentally ready. Psychology Today, September, October 2023, owning yourself in a socially mediated age. The very act of documenting one's life digitally constrains development of an authentic identity. Hara Estroff Murano. I enjoyed the article. I thought it was very informative. It certainly offers a perspective that goes along with experience, that goes along with the culture at the time of your experience, as well as the means and mechanism to share yourself, not only with yourself, but your world. I think culture is important in the sense that most of this formation of identity and, as the article referred back to numerous times, self really isn't much different in social media, my opinion, than it might have been in previous generations and with that previous cultural context that represented each generation. It's just the cohort is, in my opinion, much larger. And in that, it's not so confined to a number It's an infinite number, and not only infinite in the sense of immeasurable, it's what I'm trying to capture when I call it infinite, but even so, if it is there, 
on the web, the WWW, as we used to call it back in the day, if it's there, then it's never going away. But that doesn't, I don't think, mean it's preclusive necessarily of your development of identity and self. It's just with magnifying glass or scrutiny, many others can observe it and watch it and, so to speak, also therein, contribute to it, should they choose. And the article captures that. But you've got to be careful because you can go back, and because it is documented, you can go back and take a look at that, and if not careful, not know the person you're looking at, or in a cringeworthy sort of way, look at yourself and say, how could I've ever been that way? How could my experiences in life ever seem in that way to me? And though identity should be singularly, totally, solely yours to construct, it is a construct. You have to make it. I said at the beginning of the podcast today, as I remembered back, I realized I had to construct my life. But I had to construct my life based on my identity, which also had to be construct or was of construct. And probably in those years, wasn't totally finished. And though it was within, once more, a cohort context, albeit smaller, maybe a bit more manageable, the numbers weren't infinite, as far as those that would potentially contribute or have some contribution to liking, not liking, agreeing, not agreeing, even presentation of alternative lifestyles, identity, as I caucused. I looked around me and said, do I want to be this? Do I want to be that? I don't know, again, think it is altogether different It's just once more magnified. Because even so, in the same way, every generation, mine included, required you to go back and forth between others' opinions and your own. And with that, because construct was yours, it wasn't somebody else's to make you something, you had to at least take a moment of repose, private time, to, as the article captures it, I think, well, reflect upon that. You still have to do that today. You can't be plugged in all the time without stepping back and consolidating. I think for me, that's the direction the article took my thinking, training, experience, as well as personal sort of testimony, my subjective my own personal experiences with my formation of who I am or the formation of who I am and how all of those parts rightly fitted together. But it's everybody's developmental milestone. It's a universal continuum we all have to go through. But it would have harmed me in the same sort of way that it would harm anyone in any prior, present, or for that matter, future generation if I did not unplug now and then and take a moment to reflect, to consider, to look at what 
my experiences are. In psychology terms, we call that processing. And a bit of debriefing. And a bit of, again, the mechanism, if not the dynamic, that goes into not only formation of identity, but empirically, experientially, subjectively, as well, hopefully, in this moment of repose, some sort of objectivity, we can figure out what was going on with us in context to our culture, more immediate and more remote, whether it was in our personal, physical, geographical, real-time sort of space, or in real-time sort of dimension, expand that to once more immeasurable and infinite sort of dimensions, it's still space. It's not confined, although it seems confined. Your portal to the space is your unique and personal door in and out, which you then have right to open and close. But it's up to you to exit it, E-X-I-T, it on occasions, so that you can figure out how all of this is fitting together. What you think, what others think as you're processing, as you're debriefing, as you're not only emotionally, empirically experiencing it, as your memory and your recall would have recalled it, and then as the World Wide Web, which is, again, painfully so, something that is not so easy to alter. Self-esteem is malleable. Identity is malleable. You kind of, it's fluid. You kind of alter and change. That's the whole point. Yet you feel like you're always the same. And that's the whole point. Except you would look at not only yourself in historical terms on the web, but you could do the same with a photograph. In my day, that's all we had was photographs. But go get one when you were a teenager, when you're in your 30s, and look at yourself. And then all your construct of not only self, but your recall of memory now being filtered to your present context. And there's a bit of dissonance there that needs to be reconciled. It's all a matter of reconciliation. Time doesn't stand still. Who we are within the particulars of any moment in time changes. Even the cohort changes. The older you get, not only is there other, are there other cohorts to contend with, generations that come after yours, but even those of your own personal generation are quickly moving on and no longer present. And we see that. And it seems at any moment in time, the dissonance can become so overwhelming or so great that you can't make reconciliation. That's not true. You just have to continue to do it, do it objectively, and not only see it within the context of your cohort, your moment in the sun, your time, but everyone's. Possibly that's objectivity. I think there's even more empirically so a higher ordered level of objectivity. But maybe the case could be easily or more difficult with more difficulty made that nobody could see it so objectively as to only garner the facts. 
without there instantaneously being a need for reconciliation. Why? Because that's why we have an identity. Because operating in a world that changed that quickly or that fast or was, as I tried to describe it earlier with the word fluid, constantly subject to change, you need something to hold on to for dear life. If it's not the people around you, and should you be one of those survivors... When it comes to your particular generation, specific generation or cohort, you're going to have to be able to hold on to something within yourself and then find the right way to remain connected with everyone else. It's just the way it is. It's always been that way. I would agree again with the article. It just seems more amplified than ever before. But I don't know that the mechanism of development is different. I just think accepting that there's tools, there's instruments that allow us to see it. Not only more particularly, more in that sort of unique way with more diversity, more options, more perspectives, more viewpoints along the way. But if we don't unplug because it will chase us down, we have to remember social media is a commercial venture as much as it is for our entertainment only. They want you to plug in and stay plugged in. They want you to buy their product. They want you to be like them. That's the the whole idea. It's transactional of influencers. There's a bit of profiteering that takes place as a result of you viewing. We have to accept that. Is it corruption? Maybe. But it is what it is. But you should be aware of that at all times. And the data you're receiving may not, as the article once again pointed out, accurate, true. It's distorted and intention to give appearances of something that it may not in actuality be. Is it evil? Not necessarily. But don't be foolish. Should it be evil, then certainly be aware there is evil out there. But even if it's a bit benign and innocent, don't be foolish. It's not everything it appears to be, or I want to say, old thing that's going to date me. It's cracked up to be. It's not that way. The lens of objectivity is elusive. But the better science, the better you can approach it with empiricism, sound research methodology, evidence-based sort of perspectives and theories tied to facts, predicate upon hypothetical reasoning, the better off it will be. That's why people come to psychotherapy, because we offer them that opportunity, as they should afford themselves, to step outside of that really strong current and maybe dry off, if it's that river analogy, maybe dry off a bit. But at the same time, look at yourself. And because you're looking at you, you're not going to really do that as well as someone else. You just can't see it. You can try to do perspective taking 
to include a number of other perspectives and do that accurately. It's just not easy to do. And then are those that are going to offer you the feedback on who you are and how your life is going and, and in that what your life should be and modifications and corrections and on an individual, on a regional, on a national, on an international sort of platform, a worldwide sort of platform, you're going to benefit greatly from somebody who is at least sworn to try to do that, ethically so, to the best of their abilities. What is that? Once more, apply sound research-based, not only information and data, but perspective. Make sure you're applying the highest order of determining truth as possible, seeing things for what they are, not what you wish them to be or hope them to be. And we've not mentioned that, and I don't think the article mentions that, but that's where the dissonance takes you to all sorts of feelings of disingenuineness. Poser, fake fraud, it invalidates you. Science is designed to establish validity, and in that, the truth that you can work off of, factually based, so that it can be reliably applied. But all of this, if you don't know who you are, if you don't know how to hold on to some sense of identity and self, if coming to therapy does not then afford you the opportunity to rightly edit and adjust who you are, again, identity is fluid. It is a construct. It's psychologically based. That's why we are the specialists that do the psychological counseling because that is what we know. Physiologists will do the physiology. Medical doctors can do the biochemistry. I don't profess. My doctorate is in psychological counseling or counseling psychology. I'm not a medical doctor. I leave that to specialists. But those that do psychotherapy, they need to be a minimal trained and it has to be in science and it has to be evidence and research Based, and it has to be in sound, valid thinking and theory so we can help and assist. If it's not, you can participate just once more. Be cautioned, buyer beware, because there's no validity. And if there's no validity and you're like going down that river, so to speak, and the current is strong, you need something to hold on to, grab a hold of. We can be the tree branch. We can be the life preserver. We can be the lifeboat. I'm hoping, though, that we teach you how to swim, if I can continue that metaphor a little further without myself being a bit too cheesy. But that's what we do, and that's why we're there. That's why we do the podcast. I don't know that it's any different generationally. I just think there are other factors. And we're current. That's why we do this all predicated upon, again, research articles. Some might argue psychology today is not the most stringent of journals. But I don't know that that would be helpful 
I don't know that you want to go get such the scientific journal. (laughs) You can't really read it. And with that, enjoy reading it. There's nothing wrong with taking in good data and enjoying it and seeing it in practical, common sense sort of application. That's why I do the podcast Word with Dr. Michael David Clay and why I am so glad that you've joined us because I think it's of assist. It's an asset. It's a resource. It is a perspective, but it is founded and grounded in science and research and facts and all of the stuff that makes it valid or at least attempts to establish measures of validity so that you can have some confidence it's as close to valid as we got. That's right. That's what's right. That's the right thing to do. That's right to do. And why, again, I'd like to invite you back if you find it beneficial and useful. I'd also like to invite you to reach out to me should you have questions, should you need the assistance of a psychological counselor, a specialist in such matters as these that we've discussed or we on the podcast day or we discuss in the podcast. You can find them. Psychology Today offers a directory of providers, which I believe genuinely, authentically so, is, are vetted. The list is vetted. Uh, and how to get a hold of them, you can do it virtually. You can do it based on where you are, if you prefer that. Whatever your preference might be, you can reach out to me, should you want to. Uh, D-R-M-D-C-L-A-Y at thewordhouse.com. Call me at 304-523-WORD, W-O-R-D, or 9673. You can find me online at the Word House, T-H-E-W-O-R-D-H-O-U-S-E, at, or wordhouse.com. Or you can also find us on Facebook at the Word House, as well as YouTube. But whether you reach out to me, just come back for our next edition of Word with Dr. Michael David Clay. Go to the Psychology Today website to seek out a psychological counselor, a provider that you can sit down with and go into much more detail about you and your life. Do so. It's, it can be very helpful, especially if you've kind of found yourself in the conundrum of having a difficult time navigating all of these multiple factors and you feel like you might be losing your identity a bit or you just want to make sure you are certain about who you are. So, until we meet again on the podcast, I want to wish you not only the best of health and wellness, but also behavioral health mental health, or mind health. Again, thanks.